Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. And I am Adam. And we are here in the middle of a massive thunderstorm, fittingly enough, uh, to discuss Dracula AD 1972. An absolute Ooh. classic, in my opinion. Spoiler alert, I've uh, got overexcited already. Um, Did you like it, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> um, but before I get too excited and get my geek out about Dracula, uh, Chris, what have you watched since our last meeting? I thought I would keep it themed. So we've seen two Draculas. I Ooh. thought, oh, what, what, what Dracula-related things could I watch? And I, I, what's that? You say we? Uh, we? We watched the first Dracula last time. Ah, oh, we. Yeah, I thought. Oh, we, we as in we, we, this oh, collective we here. No. Um, although um, Shelley did hear what was going on and she was like what what are you watching <laughs> and you know when we get into it that will become clear as to why it was a bit confusing <laughs> um, so she may well have watched this the majority of it probably would have been actually fine I would think um, <laughs> but yeah, so so I thought, what can I watch? And I've been seeing Castlevania pop up occasionally. Yeah. Because apparently I'm now three seasons uh, past that yes. I have not seen. So I thought, well, let's give that a go again. And I started watching it. I was like, I really should have been watching this before yeah. because it is still so good. I remembered it being great when we covered it before, but um, I thought season two still is good. But it is. It's just really great. I mean, it, like even if you even if it didn't have a great story and great acting and great voices, who I, one of the characters, um, his name's, oh, I keep forgetting it, it's God, it's God something, um, but he is, oh, no, I've forgotten the actor's name. Jeez, right, I'll come back to that. <laughs> um, is it Peter, Peter Stomar? It's Stromare. The, Stromare, um, from Swedish. Fargo. Yes. Yeah. No, no, I haven't seen Fargo, right? But he mm. was he was the one of the crazy cops in Spun, if you ever saw that. Yes, he was. They take, they take cocaine and just complete like, crazy. Anyway, that, that, so that's the first time I ever saw him, and he cracked me up in that. And then I've seen him in something else since. He's in Constantine, isn't he? He's the devil in uh. Constantine, isn't he? Yeah, I think you're right. Keanu Reeves' Hellblazer adaption. Yeah. Um, but so I think he's great anyway. And so he plays one of the voices, which is good. And the other voice actors are great. Um, but the visuals alone are good enough to watch. You know? Yeah, I remember if, it being... If it was just visuals, I would just sit and watch that for however long it's on for. So, yeah, so that's been really good. Um, and it was in keeping with with the theme and also so i'd asked about alucard before and obviously adam you said which dracula backwards but in this and this might be where i was mixing it up alucard is dracula's son and the yes. point of it being alucard was he's sort of the opposite in a way of dracula in as in he's trying to save humanity yeah he's like the antichrist kill his father i think yeah mm. um even though he's kind of got some of dracula's powers so yeah i don't know if that's um where that comes into it or well, uh, but that, that may have been where I first heard the name perhaps years ago from Castlevania yeah because I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure if um, I'm not sure if AD 
1972 is the first time that there's an alu card. Mm. Um, but it does have a bit of a long tradition in uh, in sort of Dracula lore. Um, um, uh, but I mean, it, it could be because I mean, that was the thing with Bella Lugosi used to be, it'd be things like Dr. Acula and things like that. So I think yeah. it, might, it probably popped, it probably came up earlier, to be honest. Mm, okay. But if, if not, it's taking direct reference from Dracula AD 1972, which should happen. So, was that all you caught up with, Chris? Yep. Cool. Yeah, I didn't mean to, di you know, diminish that you caught up with all of that. It's very good. You've managed more that's than that's me. Been a big, that's been a big experience for me. It's a, yeah, it's quite an undertaking as well. So, it's a whole series. Mm. So, yeah. how, how many series is it up to now? Four. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. behind as well then. And I was the same. I love mm. the first season. Why have I not gone mm. to the others? I, it's one of those things I hadn't heard anyone else mention it. And so, you know, you just don't necessarily think, oh, that's worth putting on. Like, I really enjoyed the first one, but who knows? Where, uh, I look and the reviews seem to get better and better with each season, mm. according to Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah, it's definitely, it seems to have held up. Fantastic. Well done, Adam. Yes, um, I have. Well, I've watched a few things. Um, one of which was uh, will probably come up a bit later because uh, having watched tonight's main feature, I did have to watch the Satanic Rites of Dracula, the the sort of the this the other Hammer contemporary London Dracula. Yeah. Um, but that will probably come up. As I say, that probably come up later. Um, I watched. Uh, a thriller that I'd had recommended ages ago from the 60s called Bunny Lake is Missing. Um, that was pretty good. It's basically a uh, woman takes her kid to daycare and then she goes back and it's possible that not only is the kid not there, it's very possible that the kid never existed. And yeah, wow. and it's, it's one of those ones, it's filled with some really interesting sort of grotesques and sort of like it's one of those ones where just like everyone's a fucking weirdo so you think that it could be anyone <laughs> um particularly Noel Coward turns up as a pissed up landlord with a tiny dog under his arm who's um obsessed with African art and trying to chat up the leading lady um <laughs> but yeah and that that was really good it's I'll, I'll be honest is I think at the end it was one of those things a bit that you get a lot from the 60s where it's like oh we're going to give this we're going to give the psychological explanation for what's what's what the motivation is in this and it's like ah but yeah this is not someone who's you know actually learned anything about psychology or anything else like that so it feels a bit fucking basic mm -hmm. um it's it sort of fall, it falls a bit into that category where it'll be like you know sort of all oh, right, this guy's gone on a killing spree, and, uh, why, and he's killed people with a cricket bat. Why was that? Well, you see, when he was a kid, he lost a game of cricket, but that was because the other side were cheating. And ever <laughs> since then, he's had a terrible revenge against the world. And it's like, hmm, it's not quite how it works, but, you know, but still <laughs> still, uh, still pretty good and um, looks fucking amazing. It's one of the very, like, really crisp uh, black and white cinematography. It's really sort of noiry and everything but yeah that was um so that was really good 
I um, am embarking on uh, the entire franchise of Phantasm. Uh, oh, so nice. I have watched, so I've watched Phantasm this week. Uh, and it was an enjoyable thing to uh, watch that with Claire, with Claire just sort of going, well, what the fuck? <laughs> because it, it, it is a balmy film. Yeah. And it does, and it does jump a lot in certain places. Um, but again, I think may, maybe once once I've completed the run, uh, I think it'd be interesting. I'd, I'd love, I would love to show it to Chris just because that is a film that has, okay, the execution may not be great, but the fucking ideas that just pop mm. along as that goes on and you're like, you're what now? Yeah. With no oh, explanation really? of any of Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just sort of like suddenly it's like, oh, oh, I suppose that. And it's also that lovely thing where you go, oh, well, that explains. Actually, no, it fucking doesn't. <laughs> that has no, that still has no reasoning, but now it's just a different reasoning. So. <laughs> yeah, we definitely um, have to carry, cover Phantasm. It's one of those that's a classic, and I can't believe it's a classic because it feels like it should be a proper cult niche film. But it, mm. a lot more people seem to have seen it than it deserves, I think, possibly. I think, to be honest, I think more than anything, it's because of that original VHS cover. Yeah. You know, where it's just a, a woman holding her hands over her eyes, but the eyes are peering through her palms oh, of her yes. hands. Yes. Which has, again, does not appear in the film whatsoever. No, it is. Does not have anything to do <laughs> with the film. So, you know, but I think, yeah, so I think, it's, I think it was just, it was a good bit of timing. It came out at just the right point sort of thing that enough people were going to watch this weird in VHS. Um, the other film that I've watched, so I've done, done quite a bit, actually. Uh, the other film I've watched is uh, Synchronic, which is the new one from uh, Benson and Moorhead, who did The Endless and Spring and uh, Resolution. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's that's really good. It's um, uh, basically... it's it, I suppose it it borders in it borders more to sci-fi or something like that. But basically, there's a it's two paramedics and they as they're sort of going about their daily uh, routine, they keep encountering people with unusual injuries that are related to a uh, a legal high that you can like one you can just buy in the shops. Hmm. And um, it turns out that actually what this does is it makes you travel back in time for seven minutes. <laughs> and so, yeah, suddenly people have, you know, there's people appearing with like snake bites in like on the third floor of a hotel. And, you know, it's just a lot. Uh, but basically one of the of the two characters, one of them's daughter apparently takes it and goes missing um and the other guy who has been diagnosed with a brain tumor starts using the drug to try and find her um and it's got that it's got that sort of benson moorhead thing as well where it's sort of it has the it has the sort of dramatic tension and everything else like that but it's also quite fucking funny yeah. And, you know, it's because sort of, it, it is just the sort of the pratfalls and practicalities of if you are traveling back in time. Like at one point, 
he takes it and ends up in the Ice Age um, and nearly freezes to death. So he decides to take it again, but this time he's in like a parka with a lighter and a big bundle of wood so <laughs> he can at least light a fire for himself while he's looking. And um, yeah, it's what it has that sort of, again, it's that, I mean, the premise is sort of like a tad, not, I mean, it's, it's certainly not sort of uh, overdone or something like that, but the premise is, it has a, a level of convenience to it that this guy, because he's got a brain tumour, can use the drug um, the same way that young people can use the drug. And it's, yeah, um, like there's a couple of plot contrivances in that sense in it. But mm. overall, I think it was, yeah, it was a gen genuinely good movie. And it's their sort of first foray into um, like actually big names, well, not big name stars, but like, known Hollywood actors and stuff like mm. that um and um yeah I would definitely I would definitely recommend it and I know I know Lee you watched The Endless and you weren't that keen mm. but I would say give Synchronic a try because if nothing else I think it's a very entertaining hour and faulty with sort of it, and it's a nice one where it gives you a lot of thought you know it, it gives you a lot of thinking but it's not a you know, it's not like a mind bender it's yeah. very much in a weird way it has that same sort of feel as say something like not and not up to that level because that is a mind bender but something like primer where you mm. get the idea that the guys have they've sat there worked out this plot and then worked out exactly mm. how the mechanics of it work and yeah. you know it, it, its own internal logic works really well mm. um and it has a lovely um, it does have a lovely sort of dreamy quality to parts of it as well. It's yeah, um, but I mean, like I say, the practicalities of stuff, like for example, one because it's if you take the drug at certain points, you travel back to different, like certain physical locations, it takes you back to different areas of time. Um, and at one point, he takes the drug uh, on a balcony, and the first thing that happens is he falls out of a tree because obviously he's gone back in time to before the fucking building was there. <laughs> and, it, and you know, it's sort of simple shit like that, but it's like, yeah, they've really, you know, they've thought this through. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I would, I would, I would say definitely, definitely worth checking out. Uh, so good. yes, I'll put that on my and list. That, and that's all the weather. Lovely. Um, I've been a busy little bumblebee this week. Um, mainly because I've been suffering from insomnia and I've been sleeping about two and a half to four hours a night. Um, <laughs> as a result, I have watched next week's film, uh, which we won't let you know until the end what it is. We like to keep huh? you in suspense. Um, but I watched that. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I watched a film by mistake. So tomorrow, <laughs> it's... <laughs> oh, no. Tomorrow, as it is um, still lockdown, we're having a barbecue so that we can have people in the garden because they're not allowed in the house. Uh, so we are having a Hawaiian-themed uh, barbecue. Uh, and I remembered that there was a luau section in one of the anthology movies. Mm. Uh, so Lady Jennifer and myself sat down to watch it. Uh, I knew it was one of the lesser-known ones. Uh, but for some reason, I had it in my head that it was from a whisper to a screen. So we watched it all the way through. And then she went, 
Where was it? Wrong party. Was like, yeah, wrong film. <laughs> but, you know, it's fine. Again, it's one of those, it's much lesser known. And I can see why it isn't up to snuff of like an amicus. Um, but it's it's a good film. It's very passable. It's enjoyable. So I don't think I've seen it, actually. It's, so, it's, it's from Vincent, a whisper to a scream? Yes. Right, yeah, no, I Vincent Price. Ah, okay. Um, so that's from 1987. So basically, it's the, the setup story is a woman has been executed um, and uh, a journalist goes to her father in, in the middle of the night, and he's a librarian who is Vincent Price, and she basically comes in and says... You know, I've just come from the execution of your daughter. Um, and he says, well, I can't defend what she's done, but it's not her fault. It's this town. Everybody who comes to this town gets screwed up and then tells four tales of things that have happened historically to people in this town. Um, cool. All set down south. So it's like lots of swamps and like civil war and stuff like it's. Oh, brilliant. I mean, I mean it's a good film. I enjoy it. Um it's just not up to amicacy standard, which is a particularly high standard. So yeah, that is in no way knocking it. Um, I then, having spoken to Adam, and you couldn't quite recall either, I went and Googled it and found out. And it's Tales That Witness Madness is the one with the luau. Yeah. Um, and we watched the first two I stories. Did, I did actually text it back, but then I, I think I texted it back and then I, I sent something else. So I think you missed me texting it back. Ah. And then you went, I've looked it up, it's Tales That Witness Madness. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for getting back to me. But um, but yeah, so I Googled it and I found it and I've got it in my collection. So I went and watched it. Unfortunately, I watched the first two stories and ran out of time. And the luau is later in the film. So it's the last one, I think. Yeah, I think it's the last one. So balls to that. Um, so 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 basically, so you'd have watched the Invisible Tiger. Yeah. Or the Invisible Lion and another one. Yeah. Which the, is... Not the Penny Farthing. Oh, sorry, I watched three, because we watched the, the tiger, then it's the penny farthing, and then after that, it's the one yeah. where he brings a tree into the living room. Yeah. With Joan Collins. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you heard that giggle there, but that was Claire remembering watching that with me. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Does anyone in here love me? <laughs> uh, it was funny, because I did, as much as he's one of my favourite actors, every time Jack Hawkins spoke... Not Jack Hawkins. I like him, but it's not what I was thinking of. Every time he spoke, because he's in the wraparound, I was like, that's not his voice. I know that's not his voice. And I couldn't place it's it. Not. And then I was so angry with myself when I Googled it. And I was like, it's bloody Charles Gray. If I didn't recognise yeah. Charles Gray's voice, I deserve shooting. Yeah, so, it, was a, it, was a weird, it was a weird thing. But for some reason, well, not for some reason, but what? Well, sorry, I'll scrub that. But basically, yeah, Jack Hawkins got throat cancer. But mm. he was still, but he was still a box office draw, so he was still employed, but he couldn't speak. I did not know that. Yeah, and then and Charles and they would overdub him, and it was commonly Charles Gray who would overdub him. Um, which seems to there seems to be this sort of thing because there was um, there was another actor whose name name escapes me at the moment, but he was uh, he had a similar problem, like he. Um, had uh, surgery on his throat and couldn't uh, uh, like didn't have a voice basically. Hmm. Um, and um, Graham Crowden started overdubbing him 
so there'd be this thing where it was almost like, oh, you know, if we're hiring Jack Hawkins, remember to ring Charles Gray because Charles Gray does his voiceovers now. So, so yeah, because but, if it wasn't for the fact that Charles Gray's voice is so distinctive, it works perfectly in Jack Hawkins. Like it, the voice yeah. suits his his appearance, but it's just because I, I was like, I know that voice, and it's not coming out of that face. <laughs> I think it's. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's Charles Gray. He, I think Charles Gray dubs him in Theatre of Blood as well. Ah. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I know. I know that he was. I know he'd been. He was unwell by the time they did Theatre of Blood. So I know he's dubbed in that. Um, but yeah, a lot of seventies ones with Jack Hawkins. He's dubbed. Yeah. See, now it's funny you mentioned Theatre of Blood because the third film I've watched is <laughs> Doctor Fibes Rises Again. <laughs> <laughs> I needed yes. more Vincent Price. It was two o'clock yep. in the morning. I still couldn't sleep. I was like, right, I need more Vincent Price. It's going to be Dr. Five Rises again. Um, oh, that film is just so batshit. Like, I, it's just <laughs> makes no sense. None of it makes any sense. It's absolute lunacy. And I love every minute of it. And everyone mm. plays it. So, well, no, the, the two cops play it like a comedy double act. Um, but the other guy. Um, yeah, Robert Quarry. It is Robert Quarry, yeah. He plays it so straight and so serious, it just yeah. makes it for me. It's fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. See, there's a there's a weird thing, and it link it kind of links to tonight's uh, feature presentation. Um, but Robert Quarry is in um, the Count Yorga films, hmm. which are like but I've not I've still not seen them, but he's uh, he's in the Count Yorga films and the reason he's in Dr. Five's Rises Again is the original idea for right for Dr. Five's Rises Again was going to be Fives versus Count Yorga. Oh. And then it was either, like, I don't know whether it was a rights thing or whether they just decided to not go with that or, but, but yeah, for whatever reason, but they'd already said, like, they'd already got, like, Rob, they'd already sort of sounded out Robert Quarry to appear. And yeah, that's why he's the main because because it's a curious thing as well because he is a villain, mm. and that was that was kind of I think that was what they intended to do from because obviously the first Doctor Fives is he is the villain he is taking revenge on um, the people who killed his or the surgeons who failed to save his wife's life, mm. and then after that the whole intention was going to be that basically Fives. It would be fives versus other monsters, in essence, or other nice. villains. I don't know. So, that. yeah. And I think, and you can kind of see, because I mean, like Robert Quarry's character is immortal, isn't he? Or he's an, an immortal in that. So it kind of still feeds into the vampire thing. Hmm. So, yeah. But, um, and I think that, I mean, I can't remember what it was, but there was talk of a, they were going to do a th third fives as well, um, which just, obviously never happened but um again it was going to be similar sort of thing where it's like fives versus someone who's possibly worse than fives <laughs> so <laughs> nice um yeah so and uh having have the discussion with you so adam sent me a photograph of uh oh no it was on the last episode after we finished dracula you you were waving around um tonight's film on blu-ray and satanic yes. rights and I knew I remembered Satanic Rites, but I couldn't quite remember where it sat in the series. 
So I went and had a quick Google, and that was when I found uh, Taste the Blood of Dracula, which I, is the only one I don't own. And now it's arrived in the post. I have seen it, but only once in a very long time ago. So I'm massively mm. excited to uh, to not be able to sleep again tonight and to watch it. <laughs> if, if I'm honest, insomnia did, did my, my viewing such a favour back when, like in my 20s. I base I would I could barely sleep at any point, but it did mean that I'd seen a shit ton of movies at one point. <laughs> you know. uh, although although I think at one point I just got stuck and it would always be well, it's about three o'clock in the morning, time to watch Sid and Nancy again. So, <laughs> nice. Um, I, can't, I can't I can't see the end of Sid and Nancy without hearing like the dawn chorus of birds. Because <laughs> that's that is ingrained in my head what what accompanies the end of Sid Nancy basically. So. Excellent. So without further ado, on to tonight's. Yeah, I'm just going to splash me load masterpiece. Um, <laughs> as somebody who hates who has gone on record before saying I hate Britain in the seventies, I hate everything about it. I love this film. So Chris. What did you make of Dracula AD 1972 on your first watching? Well, I certainly had no uh, no expectation, really. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think either of you had said much about it, had you? <laughs> I, I, I remember possibly Adam's face having a, a few uh, little smiles, but yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah, it starts off and yeah, okay, that's looking like Dracula. There's a bit of a fight uh, and... Actually, that uh, yeah. opening is one of the best. That sticks. In, that's always stuck in my head as mm -hmm. one of the best, like Van Helsing Dracula sequences. Yeah, in any of the hands. That it's opening amazing. Bit the Getting stabbed yeah. with the spokes of that wheel is just yeah. awesome. Yeah, like a so, big elaborate sporky donkey. <laughs> so yeah, like even it was called 1972, but I didn't really know exactly what to expect from that, um, and. So yeah, when when it moves on from that scene, it's like, okay, what is going on here? And that's but obviously Shelley was like, what are you watching? Because <laughs> the the party is just sounds yeah very odd. I think especially if you're not watching it, you probably think, what is going on with some of that? Um, yeah. And so yeah, clearly set the scene. I was like, okay, this is this is clearly a comedy that's going to be very entertaining, and it doesn't disappoint. It's it's got. You know, everything in there you could want really and uh, the dialogue's good the characters are good um there's a ton of peter cushing again which is fantastic yeah. and uh, but not, and i realize again by the end of this not a huge amount of christopher lee which i think you've mentioned before mm. that yeah certainly in this and is, is that also the case um i'm trying to think what was it called what was the when we watched fairly early on um devil rides out devil rides out yes yeah. that's it but he i think he's in that more isn't he he's in that a lot more but then I, I think this i think it also comes from it's only really when the the horror franchises start to realize that like freddie is the star mm. not freddie star freddie freddie krueger <laughs> is the star of nightmare on elm street or and then suddenly the villains in it a lot more because when you mm. watch the the first Nightmare on Elm Street, 
he's in it, but he's not. Yeah. You don't follow him, mm-hmm. essentially. And I mean, even stuff like, I mean, Hellraiser, like to this mm. day, Clive Barker always said that Julie is meant to be the monster. And Pinhead and the Cenobites are like part of the plot. But because he was on the video box and because of the design and everything, Pinhead becomes the focus of everyone, mm. even though they're in it for like seven minutes. But I think this still dates back from a point where it'd be like, yeah, that you don't necessarily follow the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the exceptions, well, Frank. You, you, you do in a funny way, though, because obviously you don't realise he's going to become the villain, but Johnny Alucard, who yeah, is oh, yeah. one, of, one of the gang to begin with, but yeah. He is fantastic in this, absolutely. Like, mm. it's, it's terrible. Looking through his IMDb right now, I've not seen a lot of his films, but he is the standout thing in this film. I thought he was just brilliant. He played he, he, like plays it an aloof, overconfident yeah. kid, just <laughs> astonishingly. He also he had you when he dropped that ornament, didn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he also oh, really please. looks like Luke Haynes in this, which just <laughs> which immediately put gives him points from me anyway, because immediately I'm like, oh, so you're going to be a shit. <laughs> so you're going you're to be a grumpy bastard. Um, but yeah, Christopher Neen, uh, who now now he sort of moved to the states in the eighties, and has he's been in lots of films, but not really sort of big parts or anything else mm. like that. And one of the greatest tragedies is uh, he plays the villain in a Tom Baker Doctor Who, but it was but one they never finished. Oh no! And, yeah, they uh, it basically they it was like meant to be the end of a se- end of Tom Baker's penultimate series, and it was written by Douglas Adams, so it was like big you know big deal and everything, and then they filmed most of the location stuff, and then there was uh, an industrial strike with the BBC, mm. and so they couldn't use any of the studios, and um, yeah, so it got jumped, like oh, they no. couldn't they basically never got around to finishing it they have however made an animated version um that they released they did they sort of released a version of it where they had what footage they had and tom baker sort of did a narrated link thing in the 90s um so but but again in that he is uh the villain skagra and it's it's very similar it's a very similar thing to johnny aliakar he's very he's just brilliant in it Mm. And it's that, but it's also treading that right line of just being nearly over the top. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's like, actually, yeah, but actually, you know, you can tell yeah, this is, <laughs> there's range to it. So yeah. he's over the top when it requires it, but he's also very good when, he, you know, he can do the subtler elements and stuff like that. Not that there's much subtle about Johnny Hallie, <laughs> you can't press it. So, yeah, so Chris, what did you make? So, obviously, you've kind of jumped over the five movies or so that come between this. So, how mm. did this compare to you to watching the original, like, serious Dracula? And it's yeah. just, although I'm sure this wasn't a, you know, a balls out comedy at the time, and I mean, it isn't now, but I'm sure at the time it was more of a comedy horror where the horror was, uh, was still almost the same level as the Dracula movies. And I, all of it seems a bit campy now, but at the time... So, yeah, so, yeah, I guess that is. That's really hard to say, because 
for me, this is ultimately much more of an action movie mm. at the points that might have been scary at the time, perhaps, but it's that it, it doesn't have a horror feel. It has the horror theme, but, um, and I think what really adds to that is the music. Oh the yeah. The Sweeney-esque music. It's great fun, but it, it definitely doesn't make you, doesn't put you on edge. It's just like, yeah, I'm having fun here. This is. Um, <laughs> and and seeing Peter Cushing, like doing some, you know, some action again. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Like, so, so that's, yeah, it's, and especially, you know, from what else we've seen him in and the fact that he's um, Grandma Tarkin just, um, yeah, you know, like it's, it's so funny to see the difference. I think it does give you, I think it does give you a clear indication of Peter Cushing's range. Mm, yeah. Mm, probably, and I, it pains me to say it, but probably more so than Christopher Lee. Because Christopher Lee is as imposing as Duke de Richelieu as he is as Dracula. Yeah. Mm, like one, yeah. Of, one of them's okay. a good guy. But it's not. <laughs> but, yeah. but you still yeah, feel you're being told off. Yeah. Because so. even but, uh, like in this, um, Peter Cushing comes across as quite a nice, um, uh, what is it, is it her uncle? He's a mm. grandfather. Grandfather, yeah. You know, and it's, it's quite a nice grandfather, Grandma Tarkin he, there. He just is, yeah. Being quite supportive. Well, the, but the the thing was is that uh, Peter Cushing's uh, Peter Cushing's wife died in seventy one, mm. and this I think this was the first thing he did for Hammer after that. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and he was and obviously quite. I think we've talked about it. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but obviously Peter Cushing was absolutely devastated when his wife died, mm. and essentially on many occasions said that he was just marking time until he died mm-hmm. and was and was with her again. That was basically how he sort of worded it. And actually in the original script for for this, he was Jessica's father. And they said when they saw him and he'd lost so much weight and aged so mm. visibly. Yeah that they decided to change it to grandfather because they felt that it oh, wasn't, yeah. that it would seem, I mean, I, I don't know, but then I think probably sort of times have changed. People have children later and things like that. Mm. So I don't think it would be as far fetched, right. but I think yeah. at the time they were just like, no, this is, you know, mm. it can't be his daughter. So they, they changed it to grandfather because mm. they just realized how sort of, altered Peter Cushing was mm. you know he really sort of because I mean the, the the sort of you've got I think when he did this he was um he, he was, he's wasn't... older than Christopher Lee isn't he it, like he is definitely he's oh well I mean that's the thing he compared to how Christopher Lee has aged he's definitely you know he's definitely looking uh, mm. he's uh, how old was he well he was I mean he was 57 when he did this so but he does yeah. look he, he, he could pass look, for older. Yeah, yeah. If he you wanted definitely, to. Yeah. yeah. If you if you if you pushed if you added ten years on that, mm. you wouldn't think you twice would about it. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, and, and uh, actually, and there's a picture of uh, of Helen Cushing, like his wife, on uh, Van Helsing's desk in the study. Mm. Oh really? Yeah. Um, oh. 
but yeah, I mean, he is no, he's a very avuncular thing and avuncular sort of character. And actually, one of the things that I really like about it is how he doesn't just play Van Helsing again. Hmm. It's not the Van Helsing you see in Dracula, hmm. who is basically hunting for Dracula. He is aware mm. of what Dracula is. He knows full well what he has to do. Whereas this character, although he's like, oh no, vampires are real in my family. He himself has never encountered Dracula. He himself has never encountered that figure or mm. dealt with him before. So there is that, you know, he, he plays it a lot more scared and awestruck when he finally confronts him. It's really, really quite impressive, you mm. know. Um, and that's not, I mean, there's, there's a, I mean, that's the thing, it's, it's a pretty fucking great cast. Yeah. Um, I think someone, I did read someone say about this, and I think this is very true, is essentially it really should be Dracula AD 1968. Because... Uh, I was the, te- the teenagers, yeah, yeah, you know, as, as someone said, they felt it was. Um, they said it's like um, it's like a sort of a, a man in his thirties or forties has written teenagers as he last yeah. interacted with them. <laughs> so you know, it's like, so, oh yeah, so it's still that's a groovy scene, man. And uh, <laughs> how'd you like to come around to my pat? And so, uh, whereas seventy two, it probably sort of it it moved on slightly from groovy happenings man mm-hmm. so yeah um so there is there is a there is a touch of uh, a touch more austin powers to it than probably mm. yeah there should have been for 72 i don't know but um yeah it's sort of, yeah, especially the, op- the opening scene at the party is very like mm. yeah we were just sticking it in the squares man yeah <laughs> they didn't know what they didn't know what to do. I went in there. I had an apple in front of her. Blew her mind, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that. So especially with uh, with Johnny Alucard when he is facing off against Christopher Lee. What are you doing in my pad, man? What are you doing? And I was like, it's just a man at the end of every sentence. Like, but I, I yeah, mean, I think it is one of those that you know they do say that a decade takes two or three years to get underway and then always carries on a bit. So the sixties were from sixty four to sixty three, and then yeah, the seventies mm, were from like, yeah. seventy two up to. I mean, like the eighties when I you know I I still can't believe it that Terminator Two wasn't in the eighties. It's the most eighties movie ever made. It was made in nineteen ninety. So yeah, but then the the eighties is roughly. Is actually, I think the eighties is probably roughly seventy-seven to eighty-seven, <laughs> and then and then and then the proper nineties, yeah, is, 80, is eighty-eight to ninety-four, <laughs> and then we won't speak about the rest of the nineties because it's just lots of people. Uh, interestingly enough, talk uh, it's a lot of people impersonating the sixties, which is essentially <laughs> people now impersonating then, yeah, which is even fucking weirder. But um, yeah, but that's enough of that's enough of growing old. <laughs> but the I mean like you say I mean the the whole sort of background to this was that Warner Brothers uh, going back to uh, Count Yorga 
So the Count Yorga films were a vampire in contemporary LA. And interestingly enough, and it was only today that I, I was reading, I was on something and there was like a Count Yorga bit. And I was like, oh, I'll read about Count Yorga, see more about it, because I've still never seen it. Um, it'll be one I pick up in an arrow sale at some point. But um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't taken the plunges yet. And um, yes, it was someone saying, oh, I, uh, they'd watched Count Yorga as a kid. And it was, they really enjoyed it because it was vampires, but it felt like it was in the cop shows that they watched. <laughs> so like the sort of 70s cop shows, so like sort of like Columbo or Starsky and Hutch or something like that. And mm. like you say, and, and basically Warner Brothers spoke to Hammer and said, right, can we do a similar thing, but with Dracula? So Hammer said, yeah, okay, and we'll update it to 70s London. And that's essentially what you get. You get Dracula in the Sweeney. Yeah. yeah. It's, that, it's, that sort of, it's the sort of Sweeney aesthetic, certainly the Sweeney musically. Um, it's a lot, of, a lot of bongos and a lot of wah-wah. Mm. And actually, I quite, I like, and again, it's like you said, Lee, you're not really a fan of 70s London, but I, I really like the church in this, where mm. it's the thing of... Go like, and it's just the fact that everyone goes along that fence kicking to find the panel that will let them in, <laughs> which just reminds me of being a kid. Yeah. It's like it's because like when the, when the kids go in after their ball, and it's back, it's back to that sort of lovely factor of like, oh yeah, when we were kids. Nowadays, it's like right, don't don't let your children out of your sight because there's a paedophile <laughs> on every corner. Yeah. Whereas back then, it was sort of like yeah. Well, that's probably still quite true, but why don't you just go and play on that abandoned building site? <laughs> make sure you're back. Make sure you're back for your tea. Where and so yeah, it's sort of and it's seventies policing as well because the children find mm. the corpse in the ground of the cemetery, launch a police investigation. There isn't a single policeman outside that church that night because <laughs> Peter Cushing no. rocks up, finds the hole in the. In, Oh no, he tells them to stop doing it. He tells them to stop observing it so that he can Ah. And and ridiculously enough, it's one of those lovely things because they do I think I think it happens in Satanic Rites as well, where because that the guy, the the copper in it, um oh, what is it, Murray, Detective Murray? Oh yeah, um, Michael Coles. Yeah. He who, interestingly enough, is in the film version of the Swede. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he's um, yeah he is he's back for Satanic Rites and actually he's one of the he's the I think he's the only actor apart from Peter Cushion and Christopher Lee who's played the same character twice in two of Hammer's Dracula movies ah. yeah and um, but yeah so he's back for that but again it's the but that Satanic Rites has the same sort of thing where it's just like a lot of, well, if you wouldn't mind giving me an hour before you... Uh, so it's like, and policemen just go, yeah, all right. That's right. Yes, you're right. He does do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're happy to just yeah, let a member of the public tell them to piss off and not cover a crime scene for a bit. Yeah, yeah. We're going to send in an elderly gentleman whose granddaughter is probably involved. <laughs> <laughs> Um, saying that as well, Stephanie Beecham, um, I know obviously is a, a staple of British TV, um, mm. oh, but she's really good in this. I think she's such a likable character. Mm, it's yeah. nice to yeah. 
I mean, in a gang that, I mean, that group, they're likeable enough. I mean, I know they gate crashed that old people's party and cause a load of shit and, you know. Well, well no, it's the, it, they, they've, they've come along with the band who were brought mm. in by the son. The, the son, yeah, yeah, the the son with the glass. Who just immediately, I just thought Jacob Rees Mogg, and at that <laughs> point, I was like, please go around to their house and smash everything up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so they've meant to gate, but yeah, they're, they're. I think the bit that I re- the point where I really, really liked, really liked Jessica is when they find the grave. Hmm. like the the Van Helsing grave and to a certain extent performatively the boyfriend's being all like oh, I'm gonna fucking punch Johnny Alicard yeah, in the face right, yeah. fuck. Mm-hmm. how dare he do that to and she's like I'll oh, fucking calm down it's just a laugh in it yeah, you know yeah, and that's, yeah. that's that's the point where I feel you know um because uh again uh the character comes back for satanic rights, but Stephanie Beecham didn't come back, so it's Joanna Lumley mm-hmm. in satanic rights. But by the time of satanic rights, the characters, so she's basically, I think it's meant to be, it's like, well, you've gone past the eras of youth, haven't you? So now she's basically become uh, her grandfather's assistant and is studying the same, is doing like the study of the occult laws and everything else like that. So she's basically, yeah. She's become, to a certain extent, his secretary and stuff like that. So she's obviously, she's obviously, you know, she's she's run around with a wild crowd, um, <laughs> and most of them got killed by a vampire. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, he's, you don't need to do that. You can't, you can't, can't do all that forever, can you? So, <laughs> so you say satanic rights. That's the one after this. Yeah. So basically, yeah, because yeah, Warner Brothers wanted them to do two. Um, uh, wanted them to do two movies, mm. um, and in a moment, of, I've I've written it down because I was just like, "Yep, that's that's Chris, um, <laughs> not you, Mister L- Mister Lou." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they continued in Satanic Rise of Dracula, um, and at that point, <laughs> they called a press conference to announce they were doing this this sort of sequel, I suppose you would regard it, because it's the part of the modern Dracula sequence. There's only two. Um, and at that point, it was called Dracula is Dead and Well and Living in London. Um, <laughs> and uh, Christopher Lee... Now, bearing in mind, this is the promotional press conference. And... <laughs> and it's again, it's that thing of things have somewhat changed in the film industry, should we say. So at the promotional fucking launch of this thing, Christopher Lee is quoted as, I'm doing it on protest. I think it's fatuous. I can think of 20 adjectives, fatuous, pointless, absurd. It's not a comedy, but it's got a comic title. I really don't see the point. <laughs> well, thanks for helping us sell that one, Chris. That's fucking marvellous, mate. He, I mean, he is a stroppy bugger. He really is. The problem is, on paper, I totally agree with him, but I love this film so much. Oh, I know, I know. And the thing, the thing is, is funny enough, I was listening to, I was listening to a podcast, and it was just a, uh, uh, with um, interviewing Matthew Holness, you know, Garth Marenghi, and funny enough, this came up as part of the list of influences for Dark. Yeah, 
<laughs> and, and Matt Holness's quote was, um, uh, what was it? It's not, a t it's a, it's a terrible movie, but it's a fantastic movie. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, just everything, everything about it is kind of wrong, but you cannot help like enjoying it. it. Yeah. It's just so much fun and it rushes, yeah. it rushes by. That's the thing. Like this film, mm. it was one of those, I was like, I couldn't remember the story beat for beat. And then when he got to the end, I was convinced there was another half hour to go. And then I was like, what do you mean the end? What do you mean the end? Go with the end. I was going. But then again, it's, it's also back to that lovely thing of a lot of these older films that we've watched where it's like, right, we've killed Dracula, roll credits. Yeah. Like, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Rather than kill Dracula, find out what happened to that one. Oh, there's the minor subplot that we didn't give a f that was slowing up the fucking thing in the first place. <laughs> there's this, there's that, there's what happened to the dog. There's the explanation for the Australian bloke who appeared in three scenes. It, it, this is just like, right, we, you know, I mean, Nothing beats Theatre of Blood, which <laughs> is like, sort of like fall through the rafters, one-liner, out. But, yeah, it's much, yeah, it's a concise film. It's sort of, yeah, I, I, it sort of rattles along. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and funnily enough, like I say, I mean, watching Satanic Rights, which I do, I do recommend, Satanic Rights is, although it's the same writer and director and essentially the same team, um, that feels like they've almost because if this is if this is kind of the Sweeney, that one's a bit more I don't know, a bit more Bond because it's got mm. a lot more high concept in it and Dracula is much more Dracula is basically planning to wipe out, basically Dracula wants to die uh, spoiler alert, but it is over <laughs> fucking 50 years ago um, yeah. But Dracula has decided that he wants to die, but he's too addicted to blood. So he decides to release and he, he becomes a millionaire and funds research into making the bubonic plague worse and then releasing it. So essentially, if you wipe out all of humanity, he hasn't got anything to survive on so he can finally die. Mm. And it's like the sort of. Yeah, I see what you mean. That's the, definitely an element of brand. Yeah. That, so, um, so he has, he's much more, rather than just Dracula's, you know, in this, this is definitely a personal thing. It's like. Yeah, when he's just come back, he's, he's got a little bit of blood, he's getting a bit of strength. And, yeah, and it's vengeance against the Van Helsing bloodline. Mm. Whereas this is much more, this is basically world domination but the way that Dracula would do it which is by killing everyone mm -hmm. rather than making them all his servants um, so you know, that is, that's the Castlevania um, storyline yeah, yeah. it really is I mean at, at one point because they um, he's he, he <laughs> in it he is in disguise as and again this feels like it could be a spoiler unless you watch the film um <laughs> And there's a there's a mysterious backer to all this research called Mr. D.D. D. Denham, and who who who's got an office in Centre Point, and then um, uh, Peter Cushing pops around for a word, and it's clearly Christopher Lee sitting at a desk with a light in front of him, 
so you can't see his face except it's on Blu-ray and I can clearly see that it's Peter <laughs> it's Christopher Lee in his Dracula outfit behind the desk <laughs> doing a Bella Lugosi voice and he gets to be and he gets to basically be a Bond villain for five minutes and then he burns his hand on the Bible and we're back to being Dracula again and it's sort of yeah so they but again I really enjoy it and I really enjoy this feels like a lot of films that I enjoy it with added Dracula yeah so and yeah. actually the one thing because the one thing that a lot of people say and I don't think it's a I don't think it's an issue in this is that a lot of people have said oh well Dracula never leaves the church so you don't get the Dracula interacting with the modern world sort of aspect to it but I don't think you need it because it's almost like that that's what sets him apart he's like in this decaying of, yeah he's this yeah, I, must admit, he, I didn't see that this decaying watching it I mean I can see if, if you start thinking of that you might think oh it'd be kind of interesting to see him in the modern world but yeah no that did seem to work Oh, it could go wrong say, so because... well, that, like Dracula in a wine bar or Dracula yeah. in that coffee house. Well, like, it, it, well, I but, just but the, the only thing, the only thing that that did that uh, was um, what we do in the shadows. Yes. Yeah, and, and they obviously pulled it off perfectly. But... Actually, the other thing that did it, and that's probably where it went very wrong, was the Gatiss and Moffat. Dracula series from last Christmas because they kind of said oh we wanted to do we were kind of doing Dracula AD 1972 but in this Dracula Dracula brings them into his world Mm. of the the decaying um, uh, deconsecrated church Mm. whereas in that it was like oh Dracula goes to a club yeah and looks like a silly old fucking biffer. Yeah. Because everyone else in there is 20, and he's like yeah. 50 of the silly old cunt. <laughs> and it would be the same sort of thing in this. Is it? Yeah. I, and, and actually, and the, one, the one thing you get, when Johnny gets turned into a vampire, and it's like stalking women out of the laundrette, I'm sorry, but that that would feel slightly undignified for Count Dracula, surely. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just suddenly it's yeah. extended. Yeah. So I think they do make the right decision in mm. sort of not not taking it to Adam Adamant. Yeah. Because the only other one, because you can go two ways about it. And actually the thing with Satanic Rites of Dracula is the weirdest fucking thing is that you realise that Dracula's meant to have been resurrected about eight minutes after the end of this film and then spent two years building a fucking business empire so you get the impression that Dracula's there and like he's got like a house, but it's fitted out with all like modern security and mm-hmm. laser trippers, you know, like to intruder alarms, like motion sensors and cameras on the walls and sort of big banks of computers. And it's like he adapted quick, didn't he? Yeah, so, so they did try and do it, but in two different films. So like, right, we're gonna do a film where it's him in modern times. But as you say, definitely master of his own realm. And then we're going to do one, not quite fish out of water, but we're going to put him somewhere totally out of the blue and see how that. But they, but they cleverly avoid the point where he would have to go, oh, what's that? 
like figuring that's it all airplane. out. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's an airplane Dracula. Oh, what's yeah. that? That's Kelly Dracula. It instantly becomes a spoof, doesn't it? Yeah. Then? Oh yeah. There's no yeah, way you can take it. See, that's how they got. The, the, Claire was just saying that's how they got round it with the Moffat and Gates one, though. Is this thing where it's like draining the blood? He then gains the intelligence of the person yeah. because then that he was like, yeah. oh, so he. He now gets a 101 in modern life by drinking the blood of modern day people, which obviously they don't have in they don't have in well any previous ones. No, um, I thought that was a really good like I know that the I like that shifts quite a lot, and I thought that was a brilliant new introduction for something that's been mm. out for 150 years to give it a new twist and genuinely, you know. Regardless of how you feel about that last episode, those little bits in it were really clever. Well, it's, it's also, it kind of makes sense because then essentially Dracula ends up like Bowie, where it'd be like, right, I, I want to, suddenly I want to play funk. So <laughs> I'll just hire the three best funk guys in the fucking business and rip and get them to teach me how to do it. Yeah. Or like Madonna, where it would just be like, well, I want to do grime now, so I'll get a grime producer. And it's a similar sort of thing. You know, if Dracula wanted to do grime, he'd just go and buy it. Yeah. a grime musician and then he knows all about it bruv so <laughs> yeah. it's um, um <clears throat> no I was going to say because the bands who turn up as well are actually a real band mm-hmm. uh, they're a band called Stoneground originally it was meant to be the Faces and they pulled out the last minute so this other band Stoneground came in who I think are still actually going they wow. sort of they're, they're, they're one of those bands who sort of never had a they never had like a big hit or anything, but they just had enough of a following and had enough of a momentum that they just kept going for years and years and years. Um, I'd probably go and see them just from being in this film. Yeah, just so you can, just so you can hear yeah. this, so you can listen to their two hits, "Alligator Man" and "You Better Come Through," from the soundtrack to. Uh, and actually, one of them, um, where is it? Zuzamba. Yeah, one of them uh, went on to compose, amongst other things, uh, the theme music to Baywatch, Mighty Max, and Child's Play 3. Wow. So, and then weirdly enough, actually, the music for this is, uh, is a guy, Mike Vickers, who used to be in Manfred Mann. So yeah. I don't know whether he... I wonder if it was him who was like, sort of, look, the faces have dropped out. Have you got any... Well, Stone, you know, Stone Ground. Because that was the one thing as well. That drum kit's been used... That doesn't have that thing of when you watch a band in a shut in a film, and the production designer has gone out and bought a drum kit. Yeah, yeah. They mm. brought their own drum kit, which is why it's fucked. Yeah, it's yeah. it's, it's held well together geeked. with plasters. It's, it's yeah, it's well gigged. It's well. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, because um, Jennifer said to me, "There's um, because on his snare, he's got it's the old-fashioned thing before you could buy dampeners." Where he's just mm. got a folded over piece of cardboard masking tape to his snare. And Jennifer's like, Yeah, what is that? And I was like, So it's not too loud. It's a dampener. <laughs> she was like, Yeah, oh, have you got them? I was like, Yeah, I've got a tiny bit of jelly that's about two centimeters round, does exactly the yeah. same thing. <laughs> and not only that, but also you can use them to keep the toilet fresh. So... <laughs> um, and interestingly enough, the, the, music well music and sound effects etc during the black mass is actually a track by the band white noise called black mass and electric storm in hell mm-hmm. and uh uh white noise 
are uh, two members of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop and a, a musician called David Vorhouse. But the two members are Delia Derbyshire, who made the original Doctor Who theme, and mm-hmm. Brian Hodgson, who made the uh, who created the sound of the TARDIS. Wow. So they're very, they're very like fundamental members of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, and that is why that is so fucked up and swirly and weird. But genuinely, awesome. they haven't done they haven't done anything to that track. That is exactly what that track <laughs> sounds like. It's just they genuinely were like, they genuinely just went, do you think we can make a black mass <laughs> on um, on record? Yeah, yeah, we could. Yeah, let's do that. So, Godspeed, you Black Emperor, eat your heart out. It was very much. And actually, the black mass, um, now, again, Mr. Grumpy Christopher Lee, um, in the original versions of the script, it was going to be revealed that Dracula's actually Satan incarnate. Oh. Mm. Um, but Christopher Lee, as has happened before with a lot of the films, said, I'm not saying some of the dialogue. Some of this dialogue is awful, so we're not doing that. So he refused <laughs> to say certain parts of the dialogue, including the bit about him being Satan. Mm. So that's why it's not in there. But also that's why... The Black Mass, because, and I know this, I will use the term real in a minute, and I want you to know that the word real is in very inverted commas. <laughs> but all the other names that Johnny mentions in the um, Black Mass are real demons. Yes, yes. Like they are real f- figures from... Uh, uh, real figures from the, the demonic pantheons and stuff like that. Mm. Um, including Andras, who is the demon possessing the brother in Inside Number Nine, uh, ah. the final episode of Series One. I can't, yeah. which I cannot for the the, ha- the harrowing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I so love and, that and, so much. And, That's one Andras, of my favourites. Andras, provoker of discords. Um, but yeah, so because. But they're all over the place a bit in terms of the hierarchy because he sort of like says and minor demons and then rattles off a list including people, I mean people, including demons who are in the like first hierarchies and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, they are all genuine, um, like genuine characters or genuine demons from I don't know the satanic pantheon or however you describe it, and. Um, yeah, and but the majority of them is. Uh, I mean, they're all they're all kind of based around uh, the the all demonology is essentially based around the seven de- deadly sins. So they're different tempters. Mm. There was one who really, uh, really uh, just where is it? Uh, uh, yeah, Eurobach, who is a demon of the of an inferior order. Who is the inventor of fireworks and the art of frying food? <laughs> I, I want him at my next party. Yeah. I'll tell you what, most of them I want him at my I mean, there's ones, uh, Verine, who tempts people with impatience, Rosier, who tempts people against se- sexual purity. Um, where was the one? Yeah, this one, Oliet, tempts people to break the vow of poverty. Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and weirdly enough, it's, 
it's not just the sort of proper, it's not just like the sort of hierarchical pantheon as well. You've also got, um, you've also got a lot of uh, genies in there or fairies hmm. or sort of associates of, of that. And, you know, so it's, but again, I mean, it's clearly just someone went to the big book of demons <laughs> and wrote that. The coolest that name there, huh? Yeah. yeah and so actually, the box quite a few of them but I loved that scene as you say it just felt mm. it just felt really powerful and it was really mm. well acted um yeah and, and in that quite, church, quite a contrast well, right? to, to everything else yeah, as you, yeah yeah and the music playing in the background yeah I just it's such a standout scene for me of the of the Hammer films you know I know this is one of the later ones that I look down on more but um yeah, but it, it, it just works for me. I thought it was fantastic. To be honest, I think the reason, and, and from what I gather at the time this was looked down, this wasn't a, this was definitely not a critical success for Hammer. Mm. And I think that's probably why Satanic Rites sort of goes in a different way where it's like, I will try and go, because it's a lot more about, because actually one of the best things is watch, watching it, and it was in a weird way, so beautifully trusting and naive in that it's like some guys from uh, part of the security services are having to investigate their own boss because him, uh, he's like, so like he's a politician and there's an army general and a couple of other guys and they're all involved and it's like, they go to this, do you know what they do at the weekends? They go to this big house in the country and they perform like satanic rituals and stuff like that. And it's just the lovely naiveness that it's like, that's the cabal at the heart of parliament rather than what they do is they go to this big country house and they fuck children. <laughs> that's, which, is, which is actually what's happening. And it's actually like, it's so sweet that it's like, oh, they're having a black mass. See, but I want I mean? that's what I want. Obviously, nobody nobody wants child abuse, but what I mean <laughs> is I like I like yeah. the idea. Like I don't like I, I mean I'm not massively against politics. I'm not a very political person, I'll admit that. I know some politicians are better than other. I would generally have a better view of all of them if you told me they all went and did satanic masses at the weekend. The yeah. I would want to do that. That is like I've always my in my life wanted to be a part of a massive cult who just, yeah, go and do black magic. <laughs> Basically, they all just go and drink a load of red wine and chant and then just have a lovely time at the weekends in a massive old house. That sounds like and great. And goats talk, are involved. Eh? And goats are involved. And goats. See? It's just getting better but, and better. But I, lo I just love it that this idea that this, like, this, what's what's the dark heart at the, at the centre of this conspiracy of, like, the great and the good? devil worship we should be so lucky <laughs> <laughs> that it's something that harmless <laughs> um, the 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 writer of this don houghton um also did quite a lot of tv fantasy and he did two very good doctor who stories and he also did the fifth assignment of sapphire and steel i don't know if you've got to that one yet Lee. oh no i haven't dinner, I think... the dinner party no yeah. i haven't i've, I've got the box set of four, five, and six, and I, yeah. I definitely want to see them, but I'm having a little cooling-off period after smashing through seasons one, two, and three in a fortnight. It's a, it's a lot. 
it's a lot. You can see, you, I mean, you've got to remember is that, that show was on for like five years and you've basically watched the first three in a, in a week. So, yeah, it's, you, do, you do need a break from But, yeah, he wrote, um, he wrote uh, the fifth, uh, fifth adventure of that one, uh, An Inferno and the Mind of Evil for Doctor Who. He also then goes on and write. He does. He also wrote Satanic Rites and Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. <gasps> oh, shit. I'd forgotten about the Legend of the Seven Golden Right. That's it. That is. We will still come back to that. We will that still is going to be tonight's movie, I think. <laughs> I've changed it. Legend of the Seven. I love it. It's Kung Fu and it's Dracula. And it's absolutely batshit mental. It's my favourite things in one film. <laughs> I love the fact that Hammer, I mean, the carry-ons kind of did it, but certainly like Hammer did it and definitely Bond did it, where it's just the, what's big in films now? <laughs> and it's like, you know, so Bond does black exploitation, Bond does a Kung Fu movie, Bond does a space movie because of Star Wars and stuff like that. And mm. similarly, I like that with Hammer, where it's like, yeah, it's like, well, you know. But I mean, they they actually really went and did it. And it was like, right, who do we go to? Well, the Shaw brothers who make all these fucking great. <laughs> yeah, let's do a co-production with them. And and they were up for it. And it's yeah, it's just a yeah. So, it's um, but it's funny because it, I hadn't realized it until you say that. But these kind of going too. So, so Dracula and um, Brides of Dracula have got a very similar feel, but then after <laughs> that, you've got um, uh, Dracula Prince of Darkness and Dracula has risen from the grave. Yes, I believe so. Yeah, feel very similar. A Taste of Blood of Dracula, mm. so I can't really speak to. But then after that is Scars of Dracula, which I love. So if Scars yeah, and very... Taste the Blood work well together, yeah. then you get the two contemporary ones. I'm just gutted mm. you only ever got one of the uh, the mental mm. kung fu yeah. ones because you need two. You need two of everything. I think it's also. I think probably also the thing that happened with that was just even though. Um, well, I mean, presumably because uh, Peter Cushing, uh, Christopher Lee didn't want to play Dracula anymore. Hmm. Um, so he doesn't play Dracula in Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Dracula's only technically in it for about two minutes or whatever like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why it was like, oh, so we probably won't do another one. Despite the fact, I think that, I mean, because he's not in Dracula's uh, uh, not in Brides of Dracula. No. So I don't know why they... F I suppose it was like, right, Van Helsing's in it, we've got to put Dracula in it now because he's been with... Um, we've been doing the movies for this long that, you know, it has to have Dracula in it. I really think they should have just fucked it off. And it's like, you know, especially because you're going back in time. Because the weirdest thing is, is that in terms of the setting of this... This, uh, the early bit of, uh, like, the bit in 1872 technically actually takes place before the date of Dracula, the one that we've, the, the one we watched last week, which I think <laughs> is, like, I think that's meant to be, like, 1885 or something like that. So, mm. technically, oh, yeah. That. That's, so, how is that's... he buried in a cemetery just outside <laughs> on the embankment? Yeah. And then somehow turns up back in... Uh... In Cluj. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, yeah, so my and advice, 
Well, I'll go. I was gonna, no, I was going to say, I think it's just, again, it's that thing of when there was no repeatable element to films. Hmm. They might appear on the TV one day, but you certainly weren't going to have them. You weren't going to have a box set. You yeah. went and saw Dracula and they're like, fuck me, it was, you know, it was whatever... 14 years ago, no one remembers the date mm. of the, yeah. you know, no one's going to, and, and probably, actually, it was 14 years ago, they probably didn't remember the date, yeah. you know, because it's a different, <laughs> it's, it's different team writing for mm. it and stuff like that, and it was like, well, if we're doing it in 72, we'll set this in 1872, so it's exactly that 100 years, right. yeah. you know, and it's, yeah. And so, so did you say the, the seven golden vampires, did you say that's set before 72? That goes back further in time? That, that, goes, come... back, that goes back to the Victorian era. Oh, okay. So I think it's... Um, I don't have it written. Is it... Yeah, it mm. goes back to Victorian... Well, Victorian era China, yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's... I think that's like 80... I think that's 80-odd or something like that. Mm. Um I did have them written down for the previous one, but uh, I, do, I do not have those notes in front of me. Um, yeah, that, but, that one definitely sounds tempting. Oh, <laughs> we, we, we will cover that, mate. Believe uh, me. Because, yeah. again, oh, that's good then. I haven't seen a Kung Fu movie for a long time. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's... Do you know what? That reminds me, actually. <laughs> just, just for anybody who's listening... I had a Roku box, which I used to use several years ago, and obviously it's it's much in decline now, and they, there isn't as much stuff on them. I plugged mine in for watching the ice hockey on recently um, and discovered that all that is on Roku now is hundreds and hundreds of channels showing low-budget horror and kung fu movies. So if you're into horror or kung fu movies, <laughs> buy yourself an old Roku box whack it onto your TV and you'll just get thousands of free movies of I I spent hours just going through the titles and pissing myself it's absolute gold entertainment do it do it uh, also with I mean obviously we've got to mention uh Caroline Monroe yes as Laura as Laura Bellows uh, does she? Yeah, well, step on my toe. Thanks, hell of a mess. But um, who is Victoria Regina Fibes, the yes. deceased wife of the good doctor? Um, mm. And she's in Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, which is another one we should definitely cover. Yeah. Because that is, it's, again, that's the weird one where it's like, why is this so good? Almost, you're sort of like, why is this so entertaining? Because it shouldn't be. Yeah, you feel it shouldn't be, but especially because it's it's not even something where they're like, oh, we're doing a vampire movie, but it's set in 1972. Oh, we're doing a vampire movie, but it's got kung fu in it, and it's <laughs> in a weird way. There's like this one. It's like uh, it's a vampire movie. Oh, but it's a really real, well written one, <laughs> <laughs> which the, which is genuinely the only you know the only thing you can say about it. But it's sort of um and uh but yeah and obviously i mean she's she was in uh cute little buggers that we saw at um uh horror on sea a few years back mm. yes she, uh, now that was a fun film really yeah. fun i need to track that down and rewatch that 
it's interesting actually the more as we sort of have been doing this the amount of times that that film has cropped up where they just got so many Connected people in with um, yeah for like 10 minutes or mm. like you know a blink and you'll miss it cameo or whatever like that but yeah cute little buggers actually was like pretty packed to the rafters with <laughs> sort of uh, a lot of faces it's quite you know which it's is, quite impressive which is funny because it was the cat one i can't remember what it was called but there was a a demonic cat film we saw that day which basically sold itself on that it was like you remember all these people from fantasy that's it and i love that film also like that was great Mm -hmm. but like that was packed full of cameos of people you recognize cute little buggers was people from films you've definitely seen but you didn't recognize any of them at all when you well i mean there's also um I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to point out um, uh, Marsha Hunt, who played Gaynor, hmm. um, because she sort of. I mean, she she did. A, she was in um, Howling Two. Your sister is a werewolf again with Mr. Christopher Lou, um, and she's in Britannia Hospital. Um, but actually, she was sort of mainly a singer, a model, but she was in the musical Hair. And even though she didn't have a big role in it, her picture was what ended up on all the posters. <laughs> so it's just her, her with her like insane afro, looking really sixties. Was the sort of uh, um, was the uh, promo uh, poster for hair. Um, but she was in a band called Bluesology with a young Elton John. Um, she, she her work visa was going to expire because because she, she's American. Her work visa was going to expire, so she married Mike Ratledge from the Soft Machine. <laughs> um, purely to stay in the country, uh, they're still married. Oh, but, but it's always been a platonic marriage. They just married and were like, just really got this on works, with each this other. Is right, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so they've been married like all this time. But she had a son with Mick Jagger. Uh, she was in a band. She was in a band called Bluesology with Elton John before he was called Elton John. So. And like she was doing modeling, so she's all over the fucking 60s and 70s anyway. And sorry, yeah, this just... is hilarious. I've got to say this. I've just put in Marsha A. Hunt into IMDb. The picture that comes up that should be of her is a background picture from a scene that she was presumably in, but she is not in the picture. So she... <laughs> Whoever is doing her agency work and has put this picture up has obviously found a massive picture with her on one side and someone famous on the other, put it up for IMDb and just cut both of them out. It's just a picture oh, of a bad. wall. <laughs> what the shit? But, I mean, she she was actually... I mean, she's gone on and uh, written books and autobiography, and it's one of those ones where it's like, yeah, actually, I think you should write an autobiography because it sounds like you've had a fucking... Like, You've actually had a life. Yeah. You know, it's like one of those things where you sort of like read about someone and it's like, oh, and how old were you, old were you by then? 27? What? <laughs> you know, they're like, you know, they've climbed the Himalayas, fought fucking tigers, married the Rolling Stones and divorced the Beatles. And you're like, what? How did you fucking pack all that in? <laughs> um, and then in the 90s, she, um, she, was, uh, she did a documentary about her. Uh, she got uh, breast cancer. And she was she did like a documentary about that while she was going through therapy and everything else like that. And then uh, she had a uh, in the end she made the decision she had a double mastectomy. 
but she was again like, no, I'm having this. And she was out sort of saying to people, right, I've had breast cancer, so I've had to have this done. Hmm. Right. You know, this is what people have to do. You know, it's again to sort of like represent and show there's nothing diminishing about it or nothing, anything like that. Very brave woman, you know, and yeah. really, I think and, that's and like I say, I mean, yeah, just and the and it just tickled me fucking pink that it was like, oh no, we're still married. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think they said they've actually lived in the same house like for about three weeks at one point, but they've been married for fifty eight years because <laughs> yeah. So. Nice, very cool woman. Um, mm. Yes, so j just as we are closing out, I was going to say to Chris, obviously, um, as you enjoyed Dracula uh, and you enjoyed this. All the films in between are also fantastic. I don't. Uh, I don't think okay, yeah, I was going to say, why have we skipped? Just because this one is such a. a, a I wanted to show you, right, that was yeah. the serious Dracula. Mm -hmm. This is what it ended up being. So we kind of. And again, they were the ones Adam mm. was like, you need to watch one of these two. And I was like, mm. fuck it, let's just watch them both. They're both, both amazing yeah. in very yeah. different ways. Um, yeah. It, it definitely gives you the flavor, I think, because. Mm. The films from Dracula to Dracula AD 1972 are very much of the gothic horror hallmark. They're all very much like that. Mm. They are variations on Dracula versus the good guys mm. in a in either Victorian London or a Bavarian village. Mm. And then <laughs> and and actually, I forgot to say, but when the first time I encountered Dracula AD 1972, it was so fucking perfect because basically I think I was probably about nine or ten. And again, we're looking at, um, what's it called? We're looking at uh, insomnia, etc. And I think what happened was is I was just very, I was up late one night and it was like, right, the film coming up is uh, like, and, then, and it was like ITV in the middle of the night. And it's like, oh, and next up is Dracula. Oh, Dracula film. Oh, right. I watched Dracula film. And so it kicks off and it's like, oh, this must be the recap from the last film. Even though, no, this is like, this is evil dead territory where it's like, no, no matter how many times we have killed off Dracula, we'll put a new one in. <laughs> of a completely different era for no good fucking reason. But yeah, so I didn't know that. And I hadn't actually sort of, obviously it doesn't come up till right at the point where you see an aeroplane. Mm. But it's maybe what, five minutes of the start, three minutes or something like that, where it's just pure Victorian standard Dracula fare. Yeah. And then there's a fucking aeroplane. <laughs> and then and suddenly there's like bongos and dramatic like sort of six mm. spy music. And I'm, yeah, and there's tiny 10-year-old, well, probably massive fat 10-year-old me, just fucking go, this is the fucking greatest thing ever. What's happened? And yeah, it's also and that, was, to... that was my introduction. It's great because you don't have the usual, you know, it, it's going to, you know, always it's going to be an hour of seeing them independently, of Dracula mm. being a shit. And Van Helsing trying to work out where he is and how he's going to fight him. And then they finally come together in the last two minutes. Whereas this is, right, before the opening sequence, we see them fighting on a moving mm -hmm. carriage and they both die. Yeah. And it's amazing. And you're like, right, mm -hmm. you've had that. You've got that out of your system. 
now you can watch the rest of the film. And it's, oh, it's so good. It's such a good idea. Yeah. I love it. It's, and like I say, I think that, that I think it's a shame that they did not pursue it as a thing. But then by the looks of it, I think, I mean, Christopher Lee had already pulled rank and said he wasn't going to fucking talk at all yeah. during Prince of Darkness. <laughs> so I suppose the fact they got some lines out of him. And it's interesting that the, there's a line in this which is from Bram Stoker, mm. um, which is the line about I've... Uh, you dare to pit your wits against mine. I've commanded armies and countries, mm, yeah, or something along those lines. And that's that's an original Bram Stoker because I think mm. a lot of the time Christopher Lee was like, "This dialogue is disgraceful, and really, you need to go back to Stoker and find these things." And so they just they'd find a bit of dialogue that worked for both of them, and then you go, hmm, "That's acceptable, yes." And because <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty sure there's a line in um, there's a line in Satanic Rites which I'm sure is Stoker as well. And it's, yeah, but again, I don't know. I think Christopher was having a, a, a difficult one. Can I just say that we are best, we are blessed with the almost antithesis of that Chris to work with. You are not a stubborn man like your namesake, sir. I, I, I take off to Peter Cushing. You do. Yeah, yeah you do. I can see you destroying. I can see you destroying <laughs> Harry Fisher's homeworld in slippers. <laughs> um, and that is perfect, actually, Adam. You uh, finishing with that to lead us into what we are covering next, um, because that you say that the, um, the the line from Bram Stoker's that he uses. There's a very similar line. Anyway, it's not actually a line. It's a massive fucking monologue. Um, and it just makes me piss myself every time, doesn't matter how many times I hear it, uh, from Vincent Price in next episode's film. Um, so this ah, is yeah. probably the time to cover that. And I, it's really funny because we decided we were going to do this film because I watched it and I messaged Adam and I went, oh, oh no, it was at the end of last week's episode. I said, mm. can we do this film? Because... I know it. I know it isn't going to work for everybody, and I know it's a little bit off the wall. But I'm desperate to hear what Chris would make of it because it's it's good fun. Yeah. Um, and, and we could definitely we'll, we'll say without a shadow of a doubt, Chris, it's a comedy. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was I was getting that vibe, but <laughs> um, so it, we will also be joined if all goes well um, by. One of the stars of the Moss Eisley Happy Hour, hopefully Wesley will be joining us um, oh, because yes, it, it, I, I can't watch this film and not think of Wesley because it's exactly his not not in a derogatory way, but it's his very puerile humour that like it's just <laughs> him. So for anybody using any doubt, next week we're going to be covering the Kenny Everett horror comedy bloodbath at the house of death um it's a film which bombed and did terribly i hadn't seen it and i found it i can't even remember why i first ever saw it i found it by I, did you lend it to me adam or was it i think i lent it to you because i'd only ever seen i remembered one clip from it and i was like and when it came out on dvd i was like, oh, well, I'll definitely get that because I was having a Kenny Everett one at the time anyway. And it was like, 
It's Kenny Everett and Vincent Price. This is a pretty much a fucking no-brainer. Even if this is disp- even if this is terrible, I want to be able Do to tell one. people yeah. that I've seen those men share the same screen. Mm. And actually, I mean, I'll, we'll go into it more when we cover it. But interestingly enough, for a while, this was genuinely a lost film. Mm. Was it really? Yeah. As oh in, my um, god! Because, because, like you say, died on its ass, was absolutely unsuccessful, really quickly forgotten, and for a while out there, it did appear that there were no copies and no negatives or anything. So yeah, it was uh, for a time. It was basically a lost film. It, this was like was London it? after midnight with knob gags. <laughs> Um, yes, so, oh, God, I love this film. Uh, yeah, so I, 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 really, I think Kenny Everett was one of those, it was just when I was younger, so I didn't really see a lot of his stuff. Yeah, so, I, yeah, so as we say, Adam lent it to me. I think, I, I think it was one of those horrible things where somebody lent me something and I didn't think I really wanted to watch it. So I think it sat on a shelf for about six mm-hmm. months. And then one night I was like, oh, I've run out of everything to watch. I'm going to put this on. <laughs> and then I was like, you prick. Why has this been selling a show oh, for six yeah. months? I could have been watching it once a fortnight and having a whale of a time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so not to oversell it, but... oh. So next week, there will be the three of us, plus Wesley from the Moss Eisley Happy Hour will be covering... And as yet unexplained. Uh, I, and as yet unexplained. Mm, I haven't yes. listened to the latest yeah. episode because I didn't get a chance to hear it today, but I... Oh, it's a good one. Very the last, the Inc- Sam one that was last was fantastic. Or Sarwin, as it's pronounced. Incidentally, uh, one of the things that came up in the research for this was that uh, the script was essentially, uh, this is Dracula AD 1972, the script was essentially inspired by the case of the um, Highgate Vampire. Oh. So I have asked... Uh, I have asked the good people at As Yet Unexplained, or rather I've message ways and um <laughs> said can he cover that at some point because yeah that's good yeah and there were far too many ins and outs for us to sort of do any justice to it and mm. yeah i know that he'll do it the bollocks mm, yeah uh, as he does all Absolutely. but yeah today, the latest episode the um uh forgotten cosmonauts is very good excellent i should really good. that Anybody yeah. who is interested enough in the backstory of Dracula AD 1972 and wants to know about the Highgate Vampire, uh, it was covered in, I think it was only a one-parter, uh, but by last podcast on the left. So if anyone yes. doesn't know that we are absurdly big fans of that show, go and listen to that episode. Uh, unless you're British, or you'll find it really offensive because they just slag us <laughs> off to no end, as they always do when it's English stuff. Um yeah, but in fairness, they do that to every nationality. Yeah. <laughs> also, obviously, go and listen to go and listen to our brothers from another pod on um, uh, Not for Everyone podcast. Yeah, loving uh, stuff also, in it. Also, the Oblong Babysitter have released, I think, three uh, new Disney episodes. So go and yes, listen to those. Yes, they did. Very good. Very good. Yes. It's great and for me because I don't really watch Disney films, so I listen to them talk about them, and I get a feel of what I've. Not, and to be honest, they're kind of making me want to watch them because they, they do really sell them. And I, I know that Disney is for all ages, etc. 
Um, but as a, you know, it, it's that thing. Was it, Mike, was it Michael Barrymore or somebody who was arrested for being a paedophile just because they found a load of Disney films on VHS under his bed? No, no, it was, it was Matthew Kelly. That's right. That's so that was literally because they'd found it downloaded like fucking Shrek and the Jungle Book. So obviously he was a nonce. So, yeah. See, that, this is what worries me. Because why would an adult those? enjoy those? If I'm a DV, if I order them all on DVD one, at once, I'll end up with a flying You'll, you'll be targeted, yeah. Yeah, fucking you tree knocking on your door, mate. You don't need that. And the, the thing I think, is, I don't I think even also, like children. Lee, I definitely don't. I, I can't even stand the sight <laughs> of them. So, you know. I was, I was going to say, you don't have kids, so you don't have to watch Disney. You know, <laughs> that's, that, it's, it's one of the benefits along with money and sleep. <laughs> I thought the benefit was I get to watch the Disney films once and then not watch them four more times in the same yeah. way possibly. Yeah, it's yeah, it's basically you get to watch them without knowing the fucking songs off by art. <laughs> so, you're welcome. Um so. excellent. Right. So on that and note, thank you. We shall <laughs> we shall wrap it up. Thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Go and check out all the shows we've just been talking about. Uh, yeah. Go and watch Dracula AD 1972. Go and see if you can track. You can get hold of a copy of Bloodbath at the House of Death. Uh, it's, it isn't easy to get hold of, but trust me, it's worth the effort. Uh, my camera has just focused for the first time in 25 minutes. I think it may be on YouTube. <gasps> I think. I'm not sure, but I think it may be on YouTube. It certainly was a little while back, but it's probably been taken down, don't it? Spoiler alert, it's an amazing film. You don't need to watch it in HD. If it's on YouTube, you're yeah. fine. <laughs> I don't, I, to be honest, I don't think my DVD is in HD, mate. No, my DVD is not great. I, the extras are great and stuff, but uh, yeah, mm. it's not a fantastic yeah. print. But as you say, the fact that it was a lost film, the fact that I can watch it as comfortably as I can is a nothing short of a miracle. So count your blessings, people, and we'll see you next week. Good night. No. Good night. That came off across a bit aggressive. I think it's that Sweden music. Sorry. <laughs> Can you bless him?